Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. To start with, I want to take us to another reading. It is from Romeo and Juliet, Act 2, Scene 2, where Juliet says, What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Now, Romeo, Montague, and Juliet Capulet meet and fall in love in Shakespeare's tale of star-crossed lovers. They're doomed from the start as members of two warring families. And here, Juliet tells Romeo that a name is an artificial and meaningless convention, and that she loves the person who is called Montague, not the Montague name and not the Montague family. And Romeo, out of passion for Juliet, rejects his family name and vows to deny his father and to instead be newly baptized as Juliet's. You know, this one short line encapsulates the central struggle and the tragedy of the play, and it's one of Shakespeare's most famous quotes. Now, often, we use our names to redefine ourselves, to set up a goal for what it would be like for, for us to attain that. Please bear with me. I'm from Seattle, so first of all, snow. I don't really know. And, and yesterday, you maybe could guess me being from Seattle, I spent my day watching a football game that didn't end the way I wanted it to. But it got me thinking about one of our former players on the Seahawks. Uh, his name was Marshawn Lynch. Coming up as a football player, he had some struggles. Coaches thought that he was too small and too soft to be a running back. So he spent his time trying to put moves on players instead of trying to move the football up the field. Well, he decided he wanted to change his game, so he went into the weight room. He put on some bulk. He focused on attacking his tacklers head-on. And in the process, he developed a style that would land him a new name. People called him Beast Mode. In Beast Mode, he would run over defenses. In Beast Mode's fans would get so worked up that seismologists would register earthquakes around the stadium. His new name reflected a new attitude about who he was and what it was that he was setting out to accomplish. Now, some of you may have never heard of someone named Paul Hewson. Paul grew up in Ireland. He spent a lot of time singing in bands, and early on, one of his friends nicknamed him Bonavox. Now, Bonavox was the name of a hearing aid brand, and his friend thought it was funny because Paul sang so loud. Eventually, the name changed to Bonovox, which they claimed was Latin for good voice, and now we know Paul Hewson just as Bono. His name changed over time to better reflect his core identity, who he wanted to be, as well as what others thought of him. And there are many examples of name changes these days. People who, for one reason or another, thought that their given name was just not cutting it. That a new name was necessary to become who they wanted to be. In celebrity life, a name change seems to be the rule and not the exception. People's names matter. Your name is your identity. And you want your identity to be right. So, up-and-coming celebrities will choose themselves names that suit their aspirations. Archibald Leach became Cary Grant. Isir Danilovich became Kirk Douglas. Lou Alcinder is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, you may know Mary Margaret Emily Ann Hyra as Meg Ryan. Uh, Marion Morrison is John Wayne. John Roger Stevens is now John Legend. 
Peter Hernandez is Bruno Mars. Dwayne Johnson we know is The Rock. Kanye West just switched to yay. In my family, names were important too. William has been passed down for a few generations, but it alternates between the first and middle names. So it's my son and my dad and my great-grandfather's middle name, but it's my first name and my grandfather and my great-great-grandfather. It's a name that I'm proud to identify with. But you may not know this about me. I, I wanted to establish a little bit of my own identity in this chain of Williams. And so when I go by Bill, I spell it with one L. Identity is at the heart of these many naming rituals and, and connections with the traditions and the history and the culture that we are part of. What we are called shapes who we are. What we name ourselves shapes who we choose to be. Names are important to us. So what does it mean then in our gospel story today when Jesus looks at Simon, the brother of Andrew, a man that he had just been introduced to, and he renames him? And when Jesus gave Simon the new name, how did that affect Simon and all of those around him? We must understand that this, is, this was not more just a nickname. Jesus isn't saying to Peter, oh, I've got another disciple called Simon, so I'm going to use a new name for you. I'll tell you what, let's call you Peter so we don't get the two of you confused. Now, there was another disciple called Simon, Simon the Zealot, but that is not why Jesus renamed Simon the son of John. So first, this was a change. Andrew and the rest of Simon's family had known this man as Simon since he was born. He'd been named Simon by his father at his birth. His wife knew him as Simon bar Jonah, Simon the son of Jonah. His identity was carved into him by his relationships with his family members. By that name, it was that name that means to hear or to listen. When people saw this man, a fisherman in the little community of Bethsaida, with a wife and presumably children and a brother and a mother-in-law, they thought of him as Simon, Simon Bar-Jonah. But now Jesus has given him a new name. You shall be called Cephas. Cephas, an Aramaic word that meant rock, a name that we now know as Peter because it got translated through the Greek of Petra or the Latin Pietra, also meaning rock. Suddenly Jesus unhooked Simon from the family ties that were inherent in his name from his identity as that fisherman and, and that husband to a wife, the son to a mother-in-law, untethered him from the boat with the nets in the back on the north shore of Galilee and transformed him with a single word, with the change of his name. Now, Simon might have thought it odd, such a name. Why not water or net or big fish? Why something so very different from what his life had been? Why rock? In John's Gospel, Jesus didn't explain the renaming of this guy any further. You know, unlike the dialogue in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says, and upon this rock I will build my church, John has Jesus just let the name hang there, ripe with meaning and questions. Jesus and his new disciples moved on to Galilee, picking up some other new disciples as they went, and Jesus attended the, the wedding feast, his coming out party, if you will, as a miracle worker. And during it all, 
there was Simon Peter with his new name, with questions about what it meant, just sitting and watching and waiting to see how this name thing was going to play out. Now, I wonder, when they got to the wedding feast, did Jesus introduce him as Simon or Cephas? Or was the transformation into the rock still a work in progress for this fisherman? It was a change. But the name may have identified Simon, who, who Simon was to become, this Cephas or Peter or rock. It may have been a predictor of his future, his role as the foundation of the church that was to follow. But in that first conversation, and in the years that Peter walked with Jesus, he had many more Simon moments than Peter moments, didn't he? When he told Jesus that he was the Son of God, that was a Peter moment. It was a rare one. More often, the man was Simon, with Simon moments. Simon was the one who spoke too loudly and too soon, who pledged undying loyalty and then ran and hid, and who denied Jesus to protect himself. Simon, who struck off the ear of the high priest's servant. Simon, who tried to push away those... Uh, in need, who he judged annoyances to Jesus. The man had been named, but the transformation of his soul was slow coming. The gift was that Jesus knew it would take a while and was patient enough to let it happen. Jesus didn't just zap Simon into Peterness with his renaming. He planted a seed that would take some time to bear fruit. We can see that later in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus reconfirms the naming of Peter. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter will be a rock not only by name, but by nature as well. He will be foundational in the church that Jesus is planning to build. When Jesus renames Simon, it's not just a nickname. Simon has met God face to face, and God did what God does. He changed his name. As Peter, he now has a new relationship and a new purpose in his life. A name change is significant. It's well known that people's names are often important in the Bible. So, when Adam calls his wife Eve, it's significant, and we should pay attention. When Rebecca gives birth to twins and names one of them Jacob, deceiver, it's significant. Or when Isaiah names his son Mahershalal Hashbaz, which basically meant, get ready, you guys are going to be attacked, there's a good reason for it. And when Hosea's wayward wife bears a son and the Lord says to name him Loami, or not my people, a heart-wrenching point is being made. So we should be interested in people's names in the Bible. And we should especially be interested when people's names are changed. Because it's always very significant. For example, we find Abram and Sarai renamed Abraham and Sarah right after God renews his covenant with them to make Abraham the father of a multitude of nations. We find Jacob renamed Israel right after he had spent the night wrestling with God. He encountered God, and as a result, God changed his name. He was no longer Jacob the deceiver, but Israel, the one who wrestles with God. And when in Hosea, his son Loami, not my people, is renamed by God to you are my people, 
It signals a turning point in the book and in relationship with God. It works the other way as well. The Babylonians understood very well the significance of names. So when they conquered Jerusalem and took its people into captivity, they were careful to change their names as well, so as to completely cut off their former identities. We see this at the beginning of the book of Daniel. Daniel, meaning God's judge, is renamed to Belteshazzar, which honored the pagan god of Bel, instead of Israel's god. And the same went for his three friends. Hananiah was renamed Shadrach, Mishael was named Meshach, and Azariah was named Abednego. So name changes in the Bible always mark very significant events and often shine light on big changes in relationship with God. Humanly speaking, Peter was far from solid. But he did have one solid, unshakable belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that was enough. With that foundation, Jesus knew that he could build on that thought, and with Peter, a church that would shake, change the world. So when Jesus first met Simon, he knew what was coming. He knew exactly what kind of man Simon was, yet he named him Peter the Rock, a name which has stuck for 2,000 years. It's highly significant that Jesus did this when he first met Peter. Peter did not earn this name himself, but Jesus gave the name first. And then he gave him the ability to live up to it. And that's how it always is with us. Jesus always takes the initiative. We never deserve what he gives us, but it doesn't stop him from giving. That's what grace means. God's goodness to an undeserving person. Now, all of that said, do you ever wish that you had a new name? Do you sometimes long for a completely new start? a new identity in which all of your failings and disappointments and bad circumstances are left behind and you can start again with a clean slate. Sometimes a complete change of identity might seem like the only way out. For someone with huge debt or a criminal record or whose misdeeds have been spread all over the internet, leaving the old name and the old life behind might seem very attractive. Moving on without any consequences a new name, and a new start. It happens all the time in crime thrillers, doesn't it? Fake passports, fake ID, and an anonymous life. But not many of us, I guess, are in the position where we feel the need to do something so drastic. But how wrong we are. Because, of course, God has a record. He has a list of our debts. He sees and knows every misdeed, every unclean thought in our minds and hearts. And they are all in his book against our names, waiting to be read out in judgment against us on the last day. How can we escape? If only we could have a new name. We need to appear before God with a new name so that when God turns the page, he doesn't find all the old junk filed against our old name. He finds a blank page with no charges against us, a clean record, the old record against us lost forever. It's fanciful. It's unjust. And frankly, it's clutching at straws. But it's exactly what Jesus promises us. In the book of Revelation, in its unique symbolic language, Jesus says this, To him who overcomes, 
I will give a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. In the ancient world, jurors at a trial would vote with stones, black for guilty, white for innocent. Jesus says that at our trial before God, we will be declared innocent. Not because we are innocent, but because we will be tried under a different name, a name with no record attached to it. We will be given a white stone with a new name on it. All of our failings, all of our crimes against God will be lost forever, recorded against the old name. Our record will be clean. Well, how do we get this new name that we need so much? In just the same way as Simon became Peter. If we receive the grace and love of Jesus, if we trust that he is the Christ, that he is the only one who can save us, then he will give us a new name and a new start. Peter was just as fallible as you and I, and yet Jesus made him the rock upon which he built the church and gave him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus gave him a new start. Time and time again, he gave him a new start, which he signaled by giving him that new name. If we keep on trusting that only Jesus can save us, then, like Simon Peter, he will give us a new start and a new name. And how badly we need that. And so be it. Amen.